And let's just give that worship team a hand. Okay, I've, I've met several of you over the, the, the weekend um, being here with this marriage conference, but I want to say this to you, and, I, and I, you have no idea, and maybe you do, and I hope you do, what a gift you have in the worship that happens in this church on Sunday morning. I'm just, dude, and, 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 I, and the, the spirit of worship in here, and I was telling Pastor Vance, I'd move here just to hang out with, and to worship with y'all on Sunday morning. The bonus is he get, he's a great preacher, but, but man, that is powerful. Thank you. And I, I just, I, I told Teddy in the first service, I said, I'm almost just want to sit down and let y'all just, let's keep worshiping together. And I'm inspired. I get inspired by watching people worship. I love to worship myself, but when I look around and I see kids up here and their parents and all of that going on, I mean, that, listen, you got to understand that doesn't happen everywhere. And so what a gift that God has given this church to be able, and I, I mean, I want to go downtown and go, hey, y'all need to come with me tonight to, to this church, and I can't wait to bring my wife back here tonight so she can experience that. Thank you for just getting that and walking into God's presence and just being, you know, just so open to saying, Spirit, move in my heart. We, last night, um, uh, Amy and I, we went to, uh, we went to see O. We, she's never been to Cirque du Soleil before, so I, I took her to that one. And uh, I, I've never done drugs before, but I, I would imagine if that would be the closest experience you could ever have to, to watching. And like I'm, I'm watching, it was phenomenal, by the way. Nowhere close to what we just experienced here in the worship time, just so you know. And if you work for Cirque du Soleil, I apologize for offending you, but that was the spirit of God moving in here. But anyway, so I'm watching her, and she's like, wow. You know, and so it was, it was just a lot of fun. And uh, we've had so much fun being with you over the last couple days, and man, what, a, what just sweet couples, and I appreciate your authenticity and you sharing with us some of the things you're going through and just being so encouraging to us. And I don't know where it happened. Somewhere over the last several years, God just has, has given um, Amy and I both just a heart for marriages and a heart for, um, we speak to a lot of church planner and church planner couples, and so it's a lot of what we do. And um, and, and as Vance mentioned a moment ago, uh, he and I have a, a similar passion for church planting. I grew up in a church planter's home, and, and uh, we've planted a lot of churches together, which has been so cool to be part of this thing called Launch that God birthed in both of our hearts. And, um, and, but, but one of the, the things that Amy and I have been doing a lot more, which has been fun because our kids are getting older, is, is doing things that involve marriage. And, and, and here, here's, this is our hope. Our hope, and even coming here, our hope is that, is that through all that's happened this weekend, and if, and if you didn't get a chance to be part of this weekend, is that you will allow God to engage your marriage so that you can go from having an ordinary marriage to an extraordinary marriage. Now, with that said, here's what I want to say. I realize as well there's a lot of single folks in here, and there's a lot of students in here and children and this and that. And so uh, some of you, God may open up the door for you one day to be married or to be married again. And, and my prayer is that this will encourage you, that you'll, you'll maybe grab some tools so as you go into to marriage for the first time or whatever, that, that you'll just go, I know what I'm looking for. I know what I need to do. I know the kind of person that I need to be to find the kind of person that I'm looking for. And so, you know, and again, my prayer this morning is that if you are in an ordinary marriage, that, that you'll realize that God has the ability to move your marriage from being ordinary to being extraordinary. Now, some of you may be going, well, what's wrong with ordinary? I mean, like, I'm looking around my neighborhood and stuff, and 
what we have, ordinary, is really good compared to everyone else. Well, l- let, me give you the, let me give you the word ordinary, okay, from the thesaurus, and some other words that mean the same thing, okay? Um, when I look at that, uh, uh, commonplace, average, routine, mundane, run-of-the-mill, dull. Now, I can't imagine that any of you, when you were standing there, if it was you know, in front of a pastor or a justice of the peace, or if you were downtown in one of those little chapels and a guy like, dressed like Elvis was, was doing your wedding, I have no idea, that you were standing there with your future husband or, or wife going, you know what, man, I have been dreaming of this all my life. We're going to walk out of here together, and together we are going to have an average, run-of-the-mill, dull, mundane wedding. It's going to be so, none of you signed up for that. None of you did. But that's what, exa- that's, that's what happens to so many marriages. Without ever planning on it, without ever, you know, you know, what, you know strategically thinking that might happen or whatever, what, what we hoped and dreamed for that would be extraordinary, all of a sudden over time becomes very ordinary. We to- I gave uh, at the conference the other day, I, I talked about how the stages that people go through um, to- where a marriage goes from being extraordinary to being ordinary and, and even really falling into a lot of trouble. And we talked about going from the romance stage to the reality stage, where reality does set in. And all of a sudden you get into a rut. And a rut then turns into resentment between the two of you. And then it turns into regret, and then it turns into this place of resignation, where you just basically give up, or you walk away from the marriage. And yet, listen, I believe that God wants so much more for all of us. And I believe that he's given us everything that we need in his word, and in his grace, and in our relationship with Jesus Christ, to experience a marriage that is special, that is just extraordinary. I believe, I believe that he wants to breathe new life and new hope and new grace into all of our marriages, including my marriage, including my marriage. Last night, we was our date night, and we had just such a great time just talking about just things that we talked about over the last few days. It was just, it was amazing. But here's the deal. We all need to be willing to be honest. Wherever you are in your marriage right now, we need to be honest about where we are, and we need to take the necessary steps to make the changes that God is calling us to make. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to dive in and I want to look at why so many marriages are ordinary. Why so many marriages are dull and mundane and average and run of the mill. Well, first of all, and I want you to get this, we are flawed people that live in a fallen world. And I'm just going to say this as plainly as I know how to say it, okay? You are a sinner married to a sinner. Now, even though most of us in this room, you probably at some point in your life, you received Christ, you've been saved, and you've been rescued from the consequences of sin, we all still struggle with sin. And we're doing marriage in the midst of a broken world. Our marriage lives in the middle of a world that does not function as God intended for it to function. We are flawed people living in a fallen world. Therefore, it should not surprise you if you have issues in your marriage. Guys, listen, it shouldn't surprise you if the woman that you're married to, even though she's wonderful and she might be smoking hot or whatever, it shouldn't, it, it shouldn't surprise you that she might be at some point dealing with some pride or, or some selfishness. Ladies, it, it shouldn't surprise you if the, if the guy that you're married to, even though he might be just this stud, you know, that, that, that he struggles from time to time with maybe pride or lust. I mean, and some of you may be going, Brian, how can you say that? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, in verse 14, here's what he says. He says, For Christ's love compels us. It actually means that it controls us. Because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all 
that those who live, here we go, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, the Apostle Paul in the Bible here, he's talking about the effect that sin has on us. Sin causes us to live for ourselves. Sin causes us to be self-absorbed, to be self-centered, to, to, to dream selfish dreams, to love ourselves more than we love other people, and including our spouse. So, so if we have this tendency to be selfish and, and to live for ourselves, then we need to realize that that can create some tension and problems in any marriage. I mean, that can, that can take a marriage from, from extraordinary to ordinary just very quickly. Now, some of you may be going, wait, well, wait a minute, Ron. I, I want you to know, I, I don't sin. And, and I've had people, seriously, I've had people in my church come up to me and say, I don't sin. I used to sin in Christ, but I, I don't sin any longer. I don't have these issues. Well, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says it this way. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so if you get into a place in your life where you go, I, I don't sin any longer, you're, you're deceiving yourself. Now, here's what we need to understand. We are, we are flawed people living in a fallen world. Now, here's another reason why marriages become ordinary, is because we go into marriages, into marriage with unrealistic expectations. Here's what a lot of people do when it comes to marriage. We treat marriage like we would like a vacation resort, okay, where all we've ever seen of the resort is the promotional material that is either found on the website or we see the brochure. And so, so we, we, we look at the website, we look at the brochure, and we go, oh, oh. Can I tell you something? No vacation site ever looks as good as the promotional material makes it out to be. Now, we're staying at the Bellagio. It's pretty close. I just want you to know. I mean, it's, it's real close. That place is, is quite amazing. But inevitably, here's what happens. You, 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 if, if, you, if all you ever do is look at the promotional material, you start off your vacation with unrealistic expectations, and then you, you get there and you're disappointed. Listen, if we could take the Bible and truly look at what God says about himself and about us and about the life that we're living in, the present world that we live in, and the fact that God is the solution to all of our issues, then we could all go into marriage with a healthy dose of reality. But here's, what, here's the deal. A lot of people are afraid of reality because we're afraid that reality is going to spoil the romance, Reality is going to, to spoil the, hon the honeymoon. It's going to spoil the fairy tale. It's going to spoil the Disney-esque thing that I dreamed of, that, you know, that, that we would all come in in a white horse and keep riding the horse and the whole deal. But trust me, listen, whether or not you want to believe it or not, reality does set in. Amen? The honeymoon does end. It, it, marriage is not a fairy tale. And if you're not prepared for that, you're most likely going to experience some rough sailing. Unrealistic expectations always lead to disappointment. And then, and then another reason why marriages tend to be ordinary is that we, we fear dealing with, the real, with reality and difficult issues. I've dealt with couples over the years that just simply refuse to deal with their problems. They actually deny they have problems. But they know deep in their heart that there are problems. And can I tell you something? Other people know that there are problems. And when your kids grow up, they're looking at you going, hey, I didn't realize mom had problems, but as I get older and more mature, I'm going, mom and dad have problems. They, they talk about you, okay, when they get older. And I, my kids are getting older, and I know they're talking about us. But, but, but here's the deal. So, so but we, 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 we spend a lot of time pretending that we don't have problems. Now, why do we do that? Fear. 
It's just simple, fear. We, we fear admitting that we're wrong. We fear the confrontation. We fear the truth. We fear the work that it's going to take to fix it. We fear that other people might find out that things are bad. So what do we do? Well, we, we, we do a couple of things. We settle in and we pretend that life is good, that maybe this is just how it's supposed to be. You know, or we go, my, my marriage is better than theirs, but maybe this is, this is how it's supposed to be, and yeah, I, I thought it would be better, but I guess this is as good as it's going to get or whatever. Or here's, here's another thing we do. We'll just sweep our problems under the carpet, somehow thinking that somehow that we'll make the problems go away by sweeping, sweeping them under the carpet. Can I tell you something? There is no magic carpet that has ever been created that makes marriage problems go away, that makes them disappear. And let me say this again, because this is reality. We live in a world that is terribly broken, and your marriage exists in the middle of this brokenness. The person wearing your ring, as beautiful and as wonderful as they may be to you, they are flawed, and you are flawed. Therefore, your marriage is going to have flaws. That's reality. But that's why it's so absolutely crucial to understand that even though we're operating marriages in a broken world, okay, with two people who have not yet been completely formed to the perfect image of Jesus Christ, we are, and our marriages are, right, we're right smack in the middle of God's redemptive story. Listen, we, God has given us his word as his guide. He's given us his son to live and to die and to rise again for salvation. He's given us the Holy Spirit to live within us. And because of that, there is tremendous hope for any marriage. For any marriage. And there is hope. There's hope that your marriage can go from stale and dull and just ordinary and run-of-the-mill to healthy and extraordinary. You say, how can that be? Here's why God's faithful. God is faithful, he is powerful, and he is willing to engage any marriage with his healing grace and redemption. Two weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. We celebrated the empty tomb. The empty tomb reminds us that God is faithful, that he is powerful, that he is willing. God is willing to engage any marriage, even a marriage that's on the brink of disaster. He's willing to engage it with his faithfulness and his power. He actually delights in rescuing us in our marriages with his unfailing, powerful love. He delights, I love this, he delights in transforming us in our marriage, marriages with his grace. So if you're feeling, or if you, if you ever feel like you're just stuck in this rut or in this sense of, of ordinary and, and maybe your marriage is broken. Here, here's what you do. Here, here's what you do. You stand in your own weakness. You stand in your brokenness. And you be honest with God. And you say, just say, God, listen, I, I, know, I know that I'm not alone. I know that we're not alone. You're with me. You're with us. You are faithful. You are powerful. And you are willing to help us. And because of the empty tomb, I don't care how bad things get, there's always hope. There's always hope. So, if we're going to experience God's power in our marriages and, and the kind of power that it takes to, 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 to turn an ordinary marriage into an extraordinary marriage, then we need to, we need to get real about our expectations. We need to, to get real about our struggles, to be honest about our fears and even our flaws, and we need to have a plan. I, I love what, what, what Paul David Tripp says, author. He says, realism is found at the intersection of unabashed honesty and uncompromising hope. God's word and God, God's grace make both possible in your life. So with that truth established, knowing that realism, realism is reality, is found at the crossroads of honesty and hope. 
So we need to have a plan of attack. If we're going to, have, if we're going to engage God and ask God to help us to move our marriages from the realm okay, of, of un- unrealistic ex- expectations, fear, and ordinary, so we can experience ordinary marriages, then I want, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you five things. And I want to ask you to write these down. And I want, you to, I want to ask you to talk about these things. How can we move our marriages from being ordinary to extraordinary? And I'm, and I'm going to give you, and, and this helps me, hopefully it'll help you. They all start with the letter A. Okay, first of all, attention. Attention. Attention leads to intellectual intimacy. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to what? The interest of others. The Apostle Paul, he encourages us to live in unity and to be interested in the needs of others. Now, how do you know, how do you know when someone is interested in you? Well, they pay attention to you. Think about how much attention you gave your spouse before you got married. Think about what you did, okay? You, you wrote notes, you sent letters, you sent cards, you bought flowers, you bought gifts, you spent hours actually talking. I mean, you were actually engaged, interested in what they had to say. I mean, you were zoned in. You gave that person your undivided attention. This is where intellectual intimacy was developed. But what happens after we get married? We become complacent. We, we don't have to win that person over any longer, so we just kind of become ourselves again. Have you, ever noticed, have you ever noticed how you feel when you buy a new car? You, you drive that car off the lot, and I mean, every week, sometimes twice a week more, you're taking that car through the car wash. You are vacuuming every time. I mean, your kids, you're like, don't put that in, the, don't, don't put that, in that cup holder. Don't, don't, don't stick that Happy Meal in. Don't jam that. And then all of a sudden, three, four, or five months, or however long it takes for you, all of a sudden, you look back, and Happy Meal jammed down in there. Kids are pulling that little back pocket out. They're sticking everything they've got down in there. Things are on the floor, and it's just, you, you know, kids are riding their bike along, scraping a handlebar along the side. And, and all of a sudden, you just realize, okay, you know, familiarity just kind of, what, what happens? Familiarity causes us to lose our attention. Listen, women, I don't know if you know this about us men, but we are very goal-oriented. We're very goal-oriented. Matter of fact, we're actually hunters by nature. And so men almost approach getting a wife like capturing prey. Now, I want you to know, think about what men do when they go hunting. Now, I don't know if hunting's big here. Where Pastor Vance is from in Alabama and where I, where I pastor now in Georgia, hunting's huge. Hunting is like a religious holiday when it happens in the fall in, where I live in Georgia. Our attendance goes down the first few weeks of hunting. That and whenever Georgia's playing Florida, Tennessee, or any SEC football, and NASCAR. It's the craziest thing. We, we, we know our attendance is going to drop at church when all of those things happen. So hunting's like, it's like, really, it's huge. And so, but here's what men do when they go hunting. They get up super early, early in the morning. They change into camouflage. They rub stuff on themselves to take away their own scent. They, they rub nasty stuff on themselves to take away their own scent, all right? And then they will, sit in a, they will sit for hours in a tree stand waiting for their prey. And once they get it, it's like mission accomplished. Men, that's how some of you went into getting your, your wife. That's how some of you went into to capturing. Now, the difference is you don't have to take care and care for your prey like you do your wife. But what does, a man, what, what does the man do once he's accomplished his goal? Here's what we do, because, we're, again, we're very goal-oriented. We move on to the next goal. 
which is usually a career or a hobby. And that's where a lot of us will spend the majority of our, our, our time and our attention for the next however many years. That's where our interest will lie. So how does a wife feel in the midst of all of that? She feels cheated. She feels like she's being cheated on. I mean, you're not having an affair with, with another woman or whatever, but, but you're having an affair with, with your work or your job or whatever. And so th- th- someone feels cheated. And it's amazing how many things come into our marriage that rival for our, our attention. I mean, it, it's like we're doing business. We just become business partners. Our careers, our children, their hobbies, our hobbies, sometimes even church activities. You see, the enemy of intimacy is not just our selfish, sinful natures. It's also our busy busy schedules. Intimacy and romance always get shoved aside for our busy schedules because we think in our mind, you know what, when the kids get older or whatever, we'll make up for this later. But that rarely ever happens. Listen, you examine any marriage that is considered extraordinary, here's what you'll find. You'll find a couple that spends quality time together. They are focused, intentionally focused on the needs and interests of the other person. Next, I want you to write down the word affirmation. Affirmation is where we get emotional intimacy. And one of, one of the quickest ways to, to stoke a flame in your marriage is to start affirming and appreciating and admiring your spouse again. I want you to think about, think for a moment about how much time we spend now focusing on our spouse's weaknesses. Okay? Here's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. He says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Now, everyone, I don't care who you are, everyone wants to feel like they are admired by someone in this life. Everyone wants to feel like they're appreciated, like they're looked up to. And for you, that that was the key ingredient to how you fell in love in the first place. You found someone that thought that you were the stuff. They made you feel good about yourself, that, that you had tremendous value, that you had tremendous worth. They affirmed you, and so because of that, You could not wait to spend time with them. Affirmation is where emotional intimacy begins. Romans 12.10 says this, love one another with brotherly affection, and I love this line, I love this phrase, outdo one another. Guys, outdo one another in showing honor. Now think about this for a moment. What was it about your spouse that just made you want to be with them every single moment of the day before you got married? What was it about them that just, it just, they occupied your mind all the time. It was like you're at work, you're supposed to be doing something else, and you can't stop thinking about them. What was it about them that actually made you do crazy, irrational things just to be able to see them? What, what, what was it about them? And then I want you to ask yourself this. What made that stop? If it has, what, what, what made that stop? And then what would it take to get it back again? What would it take to get it back again? Now, let me, let, me get you, let me give you a good place to begin. For those of you that just don't say it, here's what I want you to do. I want to encourage you this week to begin to start telling each other that you love each other once again every day. Now, I know, I know some of you are thinking, you know what? If I hear it from her, if I hear it from him, it's only going to be because you said it. You made me do it. I don't care how it happens. It just needs to start happening. You know, we talked about this over the last few days. If actions Okay, feelings will follow actions. And sometimes we just need to start saying it again and go, God, I'm gonna start saying this because I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna engage you in this and I'm gonna trust that you'll allow the feelings to start happening. Listen, you're going, "Ah." listen, it's a start. 
And it needs to start somewhere. There's tremendous power in affirmation and admiration. There's tremendous power in encouragement. Encouragement is a French word. It means to give someone courage. When you speak encouragement to your spouse, you're you're giving them courage. I mean, that's an awesome thought, isn't it? But all of that is where the flames of emotional emotional intimacy are stoked. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Think for a moment about what you love most about your spouse. Think about, think about what you admire the most about them. And then I want you to spend some time this week. Here's your homework. Spend some time this week just telling them. Some of you are going, oh, we're so distant. Write them a note. Write them a letter. Schedule an appointment at Starbucks. Okay? I'll meet you at 10 in the morning. We'll drink a latte. I'm just going to tell you how awesome you are. Wouldn't that be cool? Then I want you to write down the word affection. Affection is where... Physical intimacy begins, and every man in the, in the room just engaged into the talk. Welcome, gentlemen. It's good to have all of you with me this morning. Your ears, oh, let's talk. I'm ready now. I don't know where you, okay. Se- several years ago, my, uh, my bo- when my boys were little, I have two sons. One's 19, one's 15. Now, getting ready to turn 16. And several years ago, we were, we were in a Longhorn restaurant, and uh, we, we walked in, and there was this young couple, not married, and they were sitting in the lobby area, and they were just like all over each other. And my boys were like, they, they were like glued. It was like, whoa. I mean, and I'm trying to get them to turn. I'm like, guys, look away. Look, look over here. Come on over here. Let's go over here. And they're like, <laughs> because this couple was all over each other, like white on rice, like spots on dice, like cats on mice. I mean, they, they were just, it was crazy. Now, We've all seen couples do that, right, in a restaurant, wherever. And most, I'd say about 99% of the time, they're not married. All right, now here's what I, I'm not advocating that you leave church here today and go make out in the lobby of Longhorns. I'm not saying that. But I do think that it's sad that after the wedding, couples stop hugging, we stop kissing, we stop holding hands like we did before we got married. Beth Moore says this, she says, before you get married, Satan tries to get you into the bed, and then after you're married, Satan tries to get you out of the bed. Every marriage, every marriage needs a daily dose of hugging and kissing and hand-holding and a little snuggling and maybe even a little slow dancing. At the marriage conference, we did this thing. What was it called? The d- Dance ding. I mean, the, the bell would go off and everybody just starts slow dancing. I'm telling you. Let me tell you, for me and Amy... When Luther Vandross comes on, we're slow dancing. I don't care if it happens in the middle of Longhorns. We're, we are slow dancing because Luther's the man. I'm just telling you. I'll, I'll let you borrow my Luther collection if you need to. I'll send it to you. What am I talking about here? I'm talking about non-sexual affection. Non-sexual affection. God, guys, God commands us to be affectionate with our wives. And some of you are saying, I know, I, I, I try, but I get shut down. I want to remind both of you that God says in 1 Corinthians 7 that our bodies belong to each other and we should not deprive each other so that we don't fall into temptation. And so Paul says, the, the Bible says one of the best ways to guard your marriage against temptation is to be physically intimate with each other. Now, I, I, know, I know that some of you are not naturally affectionate people. Listen, ask God to release that in your life. Lord, would you release this in my life so that I can be the affectionate person that, that, that my spouse needs? UCLA did a study several years ago that said that if you will hug your husband three times a day, it will increase their lifespan by three years. 
Now, some of your ladies are going, wait a minute, his life insurance policy ends after the next year. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm at conflict right now with myself. Je, let me give you a fun verse. Genesis 26, 8, it, it says this, and it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out the window and he saw and behold, Isaac was sporting with his wife, Rebecca. Now the word, the Hebrew word for sporting is the word sahuk, and it means to caress playfully. Men sahuk. The word sahuk, caress playfully, was actually the first sport mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> Couples that have extraordinary marriages, here's what I found. They focus on attention, on affirmation, and affection. Now let me say this before I move on. Appearance does influence affection. Appearance influences affection. When, when, when you were dating each other, I guarantee you that before you picked up your girl or before you got picked up or whatever it was, you know, from your guy, you got all spruced up when you, you know, to, to be ready for that date. You smelled nice. You dressed nice. Why? Because you, you wanted to look your best for that person. What's changed? What's changed? Let me encourage you to, I want to, I want to encourage you to do a couple things. First, I want to encourage you to look nice for each other. Just make it a point. We're going to look nice for each other. Some of you need to go home today, and you need to throw out all of those ratty clothes that you change into every time you come home from work. You've been wearing the same thing for 15 years. I mean, it's like it's comfortable, whatever, but it, it's doing nothing for you physically. I just want you to know that. It, it's, it's hurting you. You also need to keep your breath smelling nice, all right? Guys, if you have a, a job where, where, where you, you sweat, I know it's tough to sweat out here, but some of you do. It, come, when you come home, take a shower. Ladies, if, if the barn needs painting, just put on a coat every once in a while when, when, when you're around your husband. All right? When you go to bed with each other, wear something nice. Wear something nice. It doesn't mean that something's going to happen, but it might increase your chances. All right, it might increase your chances. Guys, here's the key. Listen to me now, because some of you are going, I like where you're going. Give non-sexual affection. You go, wait a minute. That to me is a contradiction. And I know from a lot of men, non-sexual affection is a contradiction. Learn how to be affectionate without it having to lead to the bedroom. And then I want you to write down adventure. This is where relational intimacy begins. When Amy and I got married, we, we actually wrote out our, our vows to each other when we read them. And one of the things that I told her, standing with her when we were getting married, is I said, I'm going to be in charge. I vow to you to keep our relationship fun. Why? Because I, I didn't want our relationship to get dull. I didn't want it to get ordinary. I wanted our marriage to be adventurous. I wanted it to be fun. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9 says, enjoy life with your, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. In the book of Matthew, at one point, the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of, of being a glutton and, and being a partier and a drinker and partying with sinners. And you say, why? Well, because here's this guy who calls himself the son of God, which he was, who is actually enjoying life. And they couldn't handle it. Alan Loy McGinnis, in, in his book, the, the Friendship Factor, says that the number one cause of affairs is boredom. Remember what I said early? I, don't, don't miss this. We are flawed people that live in a broken world. We're operating marriages in a broken world. But I want you to ask yourself a question right, right now. How much fun are you to live with? How much fun are you to live with? When was the last time the, the two of you did something fun just without your kids, just, just for the fun of it? When was the last time that, that you did something crazy together? 
Things you did before you got married, okay? Just to break up the monotony. I mean, marriage, marriage can get too predictable at times. And so here's what we need. We need to learn to have fun again. The problem for some of you is your definition of fun. Fun is what happens, uh, is what you do after all the work is finished. The problem is the work's rarely ever finished. The work's rarely ever finished. It never gets done. So the fun just keeps getting shoved out further and further out of the marriage. We keep putting off our time together. We keep, we, we keep putting off the vacation where it's just the two of us getting away. We keep putting off that date night that we just, you know, we promised each other. And we justify it by our busy schedules. Sometimes we'll put off fun because we think, you know, I just don't have enough money to really go out and do some fun. I want you to know something. Before Amy and I got married, we had zero money. But we had a lot of fun. Why? Because I was creative. I was creative. And some of you, you're, you're in this boat going, I can't have fun. Do the things you did before. You can create some fun, especially out here. I mean, go climb one of those mountains. I don't know what that looks like here. I mean, if running from snakes, I don't know what's up those mountains. But, but just do, be creative and have some fun. And let me challenge you, listen, to start dating again once a week. If it's possible, take some time at least once or twice a year to leave your kids with someone and to get away for a few days, just the two of you together. Listen, I want to tell you about the first time that we did this. Amy and I had been married three years, and we had our first son, Taylor, and, and we had never left him with anyone else. And, and, and so our in-laws actually called and said, hey, why don't you all come down here? We were living in Virginia at the time. They lived in Charlotte. And so they said, why don't you leave Taylor with us for the night, and, and y'all can go out and just have a night together. And, and it kind of scared us. Because, like, we've never left him with. But we thought, we can't trust them. Okay, we're in trouble. So we dropped off Taylor at my in-law's house, and he cried and, and you know, the whole thing. We got, into, we got into our car, and we, we made a deal with each other. We said, here's the deal. For the next 24 hours, we're not going to talk about Taylor. All we're going to talk about is just us and our lives and the whole thing. And so as we drove out of the, the driveway, you know, and Taylor's going, ah, and we're going. And so we're driving away, and, and here's what happened. We get onto the highway to go to Charlotte, and we don't have anything to talk about. We get to the Olive Garden restaurant because that's where, when we, we got married, after we did our wedding reception, I took Amy to the Olive Garden, and some of you are going, man, you're cheap. We, we went to the Olive Garden. I didn't have any money. But, you know, before we went to the hotel, and, and so I thought, let's, let's go back to the Olive Garden, you know. That's where heaven happens. And so we, we, we sat there at the Olive Garden, and we just, it was, it was sad. At some point, at one point in the midst of dinner, one of, I can't remember who said it. We just looked at each other and said, you know what, we don't have anything to talk about anymore. Because our whole lives have become about this little boy who we love dearly. I mean, but we've lost us. We've lost us. We've lost the spark of what, you know, we, we used to dream and talk about things together. And all of a sudden, and we didn't, we didn't want that to happen. We didn't plan for that to happen. But all of a sudden, everything became about him. Our world revolved around him. Listen, see, getting away with your spouse and leaving your kids is healthy for you. You need it. But it's also healthy for your kids. You need that time away. They need, you need to do that. And so how do I do that? You schedule it. One of the best gifts that you can give your children is a healthy, loving marriage. A healthy, loving relationship. Why? Because it brings security into their lives. Here's what I tell couples all the time. You need to divert daily together. You need to withdraw weekly. 
You need to escape quarterly and need to abandon annually. So let me go say that again. I will. Divert daily, withdraw weekly, escape quarterly, and abandon annually. Now, now here's what some of you are dealing with. Some of you are afraid to go away together because you're afraid of the reality. You're afraid that the reality of your relationship is going to come to the surface. Can I tell you something? It needs to. It needs to so that you can address the issues that you're not dealing with. And this is where a healthy dose of confession and forgiveness come in. This is where repentance comes in. I've just grown to love this word, repentance, over the last few years. This opportunity that we get to, to, to march boldly into the throne room of grace and confession and forgiveness take place, not just between uh, you, know, you and your spouse, but between us and God. Do what the Bible says to do. Do the things you did at first. Have fun together. And then the last thing, accordance. So write down the word accordance. Accordance leads us into spiritual intimacy, spiritual, spiritually, uh, spiritual accord, spiritual intimacy. The Bible says that at Pentecost, that the, the, the people that were in the first church, they were of one accord. I mean, they weren't in like a Honda accord. They were, there was unity Okay? There was unity amongst them. They, they, their spirits were knit together. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, but if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. John says, if you're walking in God's presence together, as a couple, you will have close communion together as a couple. When you're walking close to God and your wife is, is walking close to God and you're sharing all that with each other, there's going to be a bond between you that's just going to be dynamic. Spiritual intimacy brings about emotional intimacy, which leads to physical intimacy. It, it joins the two of you together. And the key to all of that is spiritual intimacy. The key to an extraordinary marriage is spiritual intimacy. Some of you may be sitting next to us, your spouse right now, and they're a Christian and you're not. You know that. And, and it's hurting your intimacy with your spouse. It's like you're just going in two different directions all the time. Can I tell you something? You can change that this morning. Maybe you're both believers and one of you in the relationship is struggling in your relationship with, with Christ and you, and you know it's hurting your relationship. You, I mean, here's the deal. How can you be one in body and soul when you're really not connected one in spirit? And I want to encourage you, if that's you, to, to come back to the Lord. Come back to, you can do that. How do I develop the spiritual oneness? Here's what you do. First of all, you pray together. Now, I know a lot of times we think, oh my goodness, if I pray with the, she's, she knows me. All right, I, I'm gonna pray. And, and sometimes we even feel like God's like holding up a scorecard. Okay, here, tonight you get a two. You mentioned a Bible verse, you mentioned me, you get a two, good job. Or another night we go, hey, God, God gave me a nine. I actually quoted a whole verse and, and, and got the whole thing right. God, God's not doing that. He just wants to talk. He wants you to talk together. What do I pray for? You pray for each other. You pray for your kids. You pray for your life. You talk just like you would talk to your friend. And then you share your spiritual lives with one another. You talk about your spiritual journey together. You talk about the things that you're learning. If you don't know where to begin, take notes in these services and then go out to lunch afterwards or go home or whatever you do and talk about what it is that you got out of this morning service. Let me, let me say to you, spiritual oneness in marriage, it, it takes time. It doesn't just happen tomorrow. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes humility. It takes honesty. And here's what you need to know. Satan is going to fight it. Satan, when you decide there's going to be some spiritual intimacy between you, Satan is going to fight it because he knows the power of a couple that is walking in spiritual intimacy. Listen, I can lead a church of a lot of people 
I can lead a staff. I can lead a small group of men. I can, I can, I can stand in front of you. The hardest job I have when it comes to my spiritual walk is me and Amy, the two of us. I feel most attacked by Satan in that realm. Why? Because Satan knows the power of a couple walking in spiritual intimacy. But I want you to know, and I don't care where you are in your relationship right now, it's available. It's available to you. By God's grace, he offers hope to any marriage, and that hope is found in what Jesus did on the cross. Now, some of you are thinking, what in the world does the cross have to do with my marriage? That was two weeks ago at Easter. The cross has everything to do with your marriage. Because Jesus took all of my sins to the cross and he paid the price for them, I don't have to hide my flaws and my imperfections before God or before Amy. I don't have to to be afraid or to be honest about myself. I, I have the power to confess my sins to God knowing that what I've confessed has already been forgiven. It's already been paid for. Because of the cross and the empty tomb, God has given you and he's given me every single thing that you need to have an extraordinary marriage. You can both live together in honesty and humility. You don't have to be defensive with one another. Fear doesn't have to be part of your marriage. Even, even Even though the fact that we are flawed people living in a fallen world, listen, our marriages can be part of God's redemptive story. And so if you're struggling this morning, you're struggling. Here's the deal. You don't need a new spouse. You, you don't need a new spouse. What you need is this. You need a plan to get you and to help you to go from ordinary to extraordinary. And you need a healthy dose. You need an infusion of reality. Reality that is found at the intersection of honesty and hope. And let me tell you what you're going to find. You're not going to find a God who's just going, okay, it's about time you got here. Now I'm going to beat you around a little bit. I'm going to smack you. No, here, you're going to find grace. Grace that you don't deserve. Neither one of you deserve it, but thank God it's available to all of us. When you come to God together at the intersection of honesty and hope, you find a God who's just going, listen, I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you to come to me in brokenness, and in honesty, just with your weakness. I know what your weaknesses are. You don't, you don't, I want you to tell them to me because that's where humility comes into, but you need to know that I'm gonna engage you with, with my grace, with my sustaining grace, with my strengthening grace. I'm gonna give you all of it. As you continue to give me all of you and give me all of your marriage, you're gonna get more of God than you ever dreamed of. And listen, what you dreamt of, what you dreamt of and what you thought of when you said, I do, and you walked out of the church, I promise you it'll be better than anything you ever imagined when God's right at the center. And you continue just to allow your marriage to meet at the, at the intersection of hope and, and honesty and grace is just being poured upon you and your marriage and it's changing you and it's changing your spouse and all of a sudden you, you realize This is a picture. This is a picture of Jesus and his church. It's a picture of God and me. And that's available to you. Do any of you in this room deserve it? No. Do I deserve it? No. But man, thank God we worship. This God that we worship so fervently before I got up here to speak, you can worship him every day together as a couple and have that same power together.